and welcome to another episode of the CFAL Talks Economic Podcast. My name is Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments at CFAL, and I will be hosting this series on the Bahamas 2020-2021 mid-year budget. In studio with me today are Anthony Ferguson, President and Founder here at CFAL, Michelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst. Each year, the Minister of Finance presents a budget communication to Parliament outlining the state of the Bahamian economy and the government's proposal for adjustments to taxation and spending. On Friday, February 26, 2021, the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Dr. Hubert Minnis, commenced discussion on the 2020-2021 mid-year budget for the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Today, our team is here to have an in-depth discussion on the mid-year budget, looking at the state of the Bahamian economy and strategies to navigate these uncertain times. So, panelists, let's get right into the discussion. Based on the 2020-2021 mid-year budget, how would you describe the state of the Bahamian economy? Um, I think that um, we are still in a bad state. The pandemic really caught us off guard, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but we are still in unprecedented times. We have, um, while we're not as bad as we were um, last year, um, we've made some progress. It's Things are pretty bad. You have businesses um, are still reporting lower revenues. Um, hotels are not fully open yet. Many people are still out of jobs. And so I think that we... We just have a long way to go, a long road to recovery, and it's important now for us to properly plan how we are going to get back to where we were before and perhaps even grow our economy more than we were growing um, prior to the pandemic. Yeah, I would agree, and you know, I, I would class the state of the economy as um, treading what I think we're trying to keep our head above water, um, you know, moving our hands, moving our feet, um, and just hoping that at some point the um, pandemic goes away. You know, that would be the life ring being tossed to us, and then we can pull ourselves back um, to shore. But undoubtedly, um, you know, we're a tourism-dependent economy, and, you know, until tourism comes back in a in a strong way, um, it's going to be challenging. Of course, you know, there's plans to look for new industries, but those will take time. And so for now, I think we're just trying to get through to the other side of this. Um, and then, you know, once we get there, we'll have to figure out how we um, regrow the economy and so forth. I mean, the only, you know, in addition to what's already been said, is I will only say that, you know, we were headed in this position a long time. The pandemic and Hurricane Dorian only brought forward sooner um, the spotlight on the financials of the country. And so, um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to um, reboot uh, Bahamas 2021 and look for um, ways to stabilize the economy in the first instance and then try to um, slowly grow our way out of um, this um, position we find ourselves in today. I think we are at a critical turning point with the high and excessive 
debt and deficit levels and contracting revenues. And actually, like um, Anthony said, revenues were contracting um, as far back as 2014, which is why the PLP administration at that time introduced FAT at 7.5%. And in 2000, July of 2018, the FNM administration increased FAT. So we had a problem with revenues back then. And at this point, I think we either bury our heads in the sand, continue doing things like we have been doing, kicking the can down the road with the excessively high debt and deficits, or we can make a turning point uh, to a place where we look at the reforms that need to happen and execute those reforms in order to help transform and grow our economy. In the budget, what plans does the government have for adjusting taxes? Um, well, I would say um, in, in reviewing the um, media budget um, documents, I don't think there's a lot of plans to really drastically adjust um, taxes. I think it is a difficult um, environment to even consider raising taxes as well as lowering taxes. I think um, the government is at a point where it needs um, just about every dollar that it gets. Um, you know, there was a plan to increase gaming taxes um, in hopes that, you know, that would drive increased revenue. But if you think about it, um, you know, a lot of the patrons of those, um, of the gaming industry um, are still experiencing unemployment. And so, you know, just outright increasing the rate alone does not mean you will get um, an increase in revenue. You may only, you know, be able to get back to to where you were. And so I, I think it is um, still difficult, and um, but it's a difficult environment to both consider raising and lowering taxes. I agree. I think that... Um it's a very um, difficult environment to consider um, any change to the taxes. Um, I didn't see um, anything explicit in the Prime Minister's comments about adjusting taxes, but I do think that at some point um, we are going to have to overall overhaul the tax system. Maybe not raising taxes, but certainly we have to think outside the box to see um, how we can um, improve the collection of taxes without um, overburdening the citizenry. So, for example, maybe lower taxes for businesses so that they can hire more people and generate more economic activity. Um, as well, I've always said, I've always thought that perhaps you need to focus on VAT and just eliminate all customs duties. VAT appears to be... Um, a very efficient way of collecting taxes because basically you have the businesses reporting. So I think that the government um, needs to explore all avenues and they need to think outside the box and just overhaul the tax system because right now um, we need the revenues. So we have to find the best way um, to increase our revenue base. I know, we just sound like a broken record, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, um, but um, I think the government's estimate of 1.8 billion in revenue is is just um, just that an estimate, and I don't think it's achievable. Um, yes, on the one hand, I don't think it's advisable at this particular time to increase taxes, but I don't know we have much choices. And um, whether we increase tax in this fiscal wrapping up uh, the 2020-2021 budget. 
um, most definitely there will have to be tax adjustments uh, in uh, the 2021-2022 budget. So I think we just have to face reality. And um, as much as um, we talk about enhanced revenue collection, I think this administration um, met an enhanced revenue collection team uh, that the previous administration left and disbanded it. So, um, you know, those are the type of things where, you know, one administration come in and, and, and break down what was put in place instead of building on these things. And we find ourselves where we find ourselves. So, um, yes, we would all like no new taxes. I think the reality is, um, yes, there will probably be no new taxes between now and, 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 and the end of this uh, fiscal period. But uh, certainly in going into 2021, 2022, I just see no way that they uh, cannot um, erase some taxes. And we may not call it taxes. I think uh, with respect to national health insurance, there's going to have to be something there um, um, to, to be able to support um, the, the healthcare system. And, 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 you know, as government seeks to continue borrowing, uh, we need to um, um, provide um, um, some support base for investors to continue to lend the government money. And um, interestingly, the point you raised about the um, expenditure estimate, um, I, I think we have to, going forward, um, be real with ourselves. It, it seems we always... Um, under-project expenditure and over-project um, revenue, and then we always find ourselves adjusting um, the deficit numbers at the end of the year. So, you know, perhaps we should go a bit more conservative on revenue projections and, um, well, I don't want to say be less conservative on expenditure because that would give the government room to just continue to spend. But um, yeah, I think we have to get better at modeling or projecting those numbers because it, it just always seems the case that we spend more and earn less every year. I agree. Now is not the time to increase taxes. It's very difficult, I think, for any government uh, around the world. But by saying uh, you're not going to increase taxes at this moment, which is what was mentioned in the budget, you are, in essence, agreeing that these high deficit and debt levels will continue for much longer. And even though I agree with no major increases in tax, I think the conversation should begin and we should look uh, in the future as to what type of taxes we look to increase when we do decide to implement tax increases. On the spending side, what noteworthy items is the government planning on spending monies on? Um, I don't think um, there has been much change since the original um, budget communication last year. Um, they still have to make necessary spending on unemployment benefits and food assistance. So, so basically um, social services spending, which at this time I think is um, very much necessary. But um, I also um, noted that um, they made reference to like, things that you usually hear um, every year, like reforms, or they're giving away um, land um, to first-time homeowners and things like that. We never get any indication of how these things are going to be funded, but, you know, um, they're always um, mentioned um, during the budget communication. But, yeah, the only thing I saw was 
um, they have to continue to spend on unemployment and food assistance. And I think that's going to be go into the near future until you get um, persons back to work. I think a lot of the you know um, expenditures kind of fixed and their hands are tied. If you look at um, salaries, pensions, interest payments on debt, principal repayments, um, you know those are things you can't um, really adjust overnight. And so um, I, I think the major discretion that the government has is in capital expenditure. Um, and we've kind of seen where there's some um, plans to cut that. So outside of that, I think a lot in a lot of cases their hands are tied, um, and you know they just provide some wiggle room with the capex. Well, I mean, I mean, generally speaking, um, the government's discretionary spending, as you said, is the capital expenditure, which works out to be less than ten percent of the overall budget. So, um, you know, for, for for years, in and out. Um, the the commitments, as you indicated, for um, salaries, emolument, etc., are just fixed and and continues to grow. So, um, and with the increasing deficits, uh, we are reducing our ability to um, um, have additional discretionary. So, I believe right now we're probably less than eight percent. Uh, discretionary spending, and if you then take into consideration all of the uh, social assistance payments, you know, you have to add that. So it's probably the discretionary spending now is probably less than five percent. So we just in a not a not a good position right now, actually. You know, I wanted to scrutinize the numbers a bit closely. I saw that for the six month period from July of twenty twenty to December of twenty twenty expenditure increased by 119 million. And I wanted to see where the increase occurred. And I noticed that the highest increase uh, for that six month period was in social services of 27.29 million. So I figured that was understandable. And then I saw where the cabinet and the office of the prime minister uh, was up by 24 Million, And then I looked at it closely and I see they have this new division. I don't know if it's new or continuation, but I saw something that seemed new. Um, the Department of Transformation and Digitization that really got a hefty sum. I think they, their spending was like 17 million. And so they went up by about eight, about eight million. And then in the Ministry of Finance, they had an increase of 98 million and 20 plus million out of that was social assistance benefits. Um, in which they made cash payments. And then the Ministry of Health uh, was up by $10.71 million, um, and which is kind of understandable given the pandemic. So I look at these areas, and also tourism and aviation was also up by $17 million. So I look at these areas to see, okay, if I could get an idea of where the government is spending more money and if that spending can translate into um, some productive income um, down the road, and um, I'm not sure I see it well, based I, on the spending. I would say on the technology side, I think we have seen some um, efforts to digitize um, some of the service. So I would hope that you know that's where um, some of that money went. And if it did, I, I would say perhaps that's um, money well spent. And I think we need to continue to invest in technology, becoming more advanced and efficient. Um, but like you said, the social services side of it, I think it's you know it it's necessary and it's it's almost mandatory um, during a time like this. Yeah, and I also think that um, Anthony mentioned that um, 
capital, CapEx spending was discretionary. I don't think that should be discretionary spending. I think that if you um, have a proper plan in place, you should have a minimum amount of spending that you do every year um, for capital spending. And capital spending um, creates jobs and it also improves your infrastructure and thereby strengthens your overall economy. So I think that's something I was very disappointed to hear that the government would be um, um, pu pulling back on capital spending. But I understand we are in a tight spot and um, um, you need to provide um, social assistance to persons. But I just wish that we would sometimes consider um, how the long-term um, outcome of these decisions um, rather than just um, making... It always seems like they just make these decisions on the fly and they don't consider um, what the end game is. Maybe an idea would be to have a separate department for well, a separate ministry for uh, transformation and digitization, and then those funds can be in there and you'd be more transparent in how they are being spent and assess if they are really going towards improving the, the digital infrastructure. Oh, well, no, I, I disagree with that. Uh, you know, we already have too many ministries. We do not need <laughs> 20 cabinet ministers. It, 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 I mean, the, 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 the Constitution calls, I believe, a minimum of 16, and quite frankly, I think that's too much. But um, I agree with you. I think in the previous administration, they did have a technology department um, um, plus education, and, and that's something that needs to, 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 to get done. But again, in the absence of a holistic strategic plan for this country, this hodgepodge decision-making, allocating of resources um, is not going to result in any growth in revenue, which is what we need more than ever. And even when tourists rebounds and returns, our debt level would by then be to the tune of probably closer to $12 billion. And we have to service that with a higher cost of interest. So um, um, even if we, ref if we get back to the tourism level of 2019, with the increased additional debt, our ability to focus spending in strategic areas is going to be severely impaired and as such uh, would have continued challenges with the rating agencies unless we have a holistic plan. So um, again, um, we gotta make some tough decisions. This is the reason why I disagree and I believe that uh, um, taxes will be increased no matter what they say uh, in the next fiscal budget. Yeah, on that, I think that the government said that they would, as we discussed, I think in our last um, session, that they would be looking to do more public-private partnerships but again, they don't um, have any holistic plan. They don't tell us, they just mention these things and um, they don't tell us how this is gonna look or when this is gonna happen. So it's always a, a wait and see. You mentioned, Anthony, economic growth. Did any of you see anything outlined in the budget that addressed job protection and economic growth? No, <laughs> I didn't see anything. I mean, I may have missed it. Um, I only saw, um, Things the government talking about the continued unemployment assistance, um, which I think at this time is necessary, as I mentioned before. Um, aside from that, I was also um, disappointed um, to read that the labor force survey would be delayed until 
2022, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, our um, the state of our um, employment in the economy is um, we are in a drastic state, and I think that is important for us to know where we stand in order for us to create a proper plan on how we are going to get people back to work. So I was quite disappointed to hear that. I'm quite disappointed to hear the reasoning for it was lack of resources. Um, so I think that that's something that we have to look at and we have to start taking um, these um, these numbers seriously. But I mean, again, right, um, in the absence of data, you can say anything. And I guess that's one of the reasons why they push it off until 2022. The fact of the matter is unemployment today is not a 45 percent, you know, you know, call it what you want to do. That's where we are. Uh, um, Department of Statistics will confirm it if they did the survey. Um, and so we know we have an uh, employment challenge. I believe um, in 2020, most businesses decided to keep on as much as possible, um, even on a part-time basis, their employees. I think in 2021, um, we will continue to see companies um, rationalize, and you, we, we saw this with, I think, KFC letting go. You saw this with, I think, the brewery um, letting go some people. So I think you're going to see um, businesses now, um, you know, saying and confirming that we're going to cut um, because we don't expect the economy to turn around until 2022, ending to 2023. Well, um, well I saw the, the government would have mentioned, I think this was primarily... Um, early on in the pandemic, where they would have protected um, 14,000 private sector jobs um, by funding 44.4 million in payroll support through credit and deferral. So um, I'm not sure if that program is still um, going on or if you know businesses begin to um, increase um, layoffs. Would the government step in and try to work with those businesses and see how um, they can retain on a, retain employment? Because of course, if they get um, laid off, then you know eventually they end up um, receiving some sort of social assistance, and so the government may need to see which is cheaper um, in terms of supporting employment. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, no, I, the, 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 why I disagree with that to some degree is, and, and and I am aware of a number of businesses where, because of COVID, have rationalized their staff. And they continue to provide the same level of service. So what happened is now businesses have become more efficient. And so um, I know one in one in one particular case, um, I think the company had about two hundred and something employees. I had a conversation with an owner the other day, and today they said they're running very well now at about one hundred and thirty something. So the point is, um, um, businesses are just now rationalizing and saying, you know what? COVID has taught us how to increase the use of technology, et cetera, et cetera. And so we don't need that excess um, 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 overhead that we always had. So, so you will continue to see businesses to rationalize um, um, via technology, which is going to create an added problem, and which is why, to Lachelle's point, we need to do that survey now, not delay it until 2022. I know the government did all it could, I, I believe that, in terms of supporting persons that are unemployed. But the reality is $100 a week for many persons is just not sufficient and it's nowhere near to replace what they were receiving 
And so in that regards, people are still experiencing hardship. And as it relates to economic growth, one of the key indicators of whether a country is striving towards that is this capital expenditure budget. And they had projected about 515 million for this fiscal year. And so far for half of the year, they have spent less than that amount. So to me, it gives, doesn't give me an indication that they are serious about using uh, capital expenditure to help jumpstart uh, economic growth and possibly even looking at projects where they can do and hire some of the young people that are unemployed in those projects and they're just not giving them monies to be at home, but they're giving them monies for work. Okay, but I guess I think we need to be very, very clear though, right? And, and sometimes we gloss over these things. And you're saying that $100 a week is not sufficient to live on, et cetera, et cetera, right? The reality is, right, prior to Dorian, prior to COVID, the minimum wage was not sufficient for persons to live, call it a respectable life, right? We did an exercise in here, and I saw the... University of Bahamas did a similar exercise on the livable wages, right? And the livable wages, I believe when we did it two years ago or three years ago, I'm not sure, Angela, when you did that, was um, 2,500 to plus a month. So, the, but the minimum wage is like around 1,000 a month. So you can see that even then, um, um, people were getting by, struggling, but but no one spoke about it. But now, because of these um, situations, it's now more glaring. And so, again, we have to step back and develop a holistic plan. I think we continue to do too, too much things in a, in a piecemeal fashion. Okay, so what in the budget gives indication of how the bohemian economy uh, could perform in the future, in particular the next 6 to 12 months? Um, I don't really um, see anything. I think that... A lot of what our policymakers are waiting on is for the tourists to come back. And then it seems as if they're going to make a plan Then maybe I didn't um, see anything um, that um, made me hopeful um, that we would be doing X, Y, Z to get um, to get where we need to be. Um, there was no explicit strategies for growing the economy or increasing unemployment. I think that um, they're just basically in a wait and see mode. Yeah, yeah, I think the, I think the realities um, of it, even if you know the government says otherwise, it, it's going to be um, difficult. Low capex means um, low economic growth. If you know fifty percent of your um, GDP is operating at ten to fifteen percent capacity, I, I just think there's no way around it, um, unless you have you know some significant stimulus package. Um, as they're doing in the U.S., um, other larger countries, you know, of course, they can print those funds to to do that and not have the concerns that we would have. Um, so I just think it's, you know, there's there's nothing anyone can show me in a budget that would cause me to believe that it's not going to be a, like I said earlier, treading water um, for the next six to twelve months. Yeah, I, I I agree with both of you on on, on that score. So I didn't see anything that was. Uh... Hopeful. Again, you know, um, a lot of this started prior to the COVID. So, uh, again, I think we need to keep everything in context. COVID just um, shine a spotlight, a great big spotlight on, on, on the lack of uh, clarity, transparency, and a coherent plan. 
Yeah, I look at where we are now. Um, in 2020, the GDP contracted by 16.20%. So we have a GDP of about 11.3 billion. Uh, net borrowing over that six month period was $1.2 billion. We have a national debt of $9.8 billion for debt to GDP of 86.62, and we had a deficit of 700 plus million dollars. So I look at where we are now and try to look for what do we uh, to see how the Minister of Finance address how we are going to get out of this. And I agree with all of you. I don't see it, and so these are definitely going to be some very difficult times. So well, panel, we have come to the end of another enlightening discussion on the 2020-2021 mid-year budget. Thank you, audience, for listening. Please subscribe to our C-File podcast on Google or Apple Podcasts for more thought-provoking and educational discussion on important issues affecting the Bahamian economy. C-File Talks podcast would love to hear from you, our listeners, on what financial or economic topics you would like to hear our experts discuss. Please send your suggestions to info at C-File or post on our Facebook page or on our website, www.cfile.com. 